Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins fans? And welcome into the Monday, May the 20th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, Kevin Dern joins the program to discuss his latest piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com. We'll piece together some more context clues about this revamped defensive scheme and plug players in to the specific personnel roles. Plus, the Dolphins did something over the weekend that was unanimously revered by the entire fan base. And that has quite literally never been done before. We'll discuss that. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Tuned In, however you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We have about 340 reviews with a five-star rating. So please keep that up. Follow me on Twitter. It's at WingfulNFL, and I was voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Check out the show at LockedOnDolphins.com. Of course, LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the Locked On Network. We have weeks 11 through 17, and now Josh Rosen's entire 13-game catalog up on LOD.com, as well as the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We have another busy show. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. And this man needs no introduction. He is a longtime friend of the podcast, and he gives us a nice little break, a change of pace from hearing me talk to myself all day long. He's our resident defensive expert, a columnist up on LockedOnDolphins.com, and regular guest of the podcast here, of course, Kevin Dern. Kevin, what's happening, buddy? Uh, Not too much. Just running some Sunday errands, but happy to talk some uh, Dolphins football. That's the nice part about the offseason is that we can get these episodes out on Sunday early, you know, prior to Monday morning because we don't have games to watch. And I guess we do get stuck running errands with our wives at times. And so <laughs> Kevin was nice <laughs> enough to take some time out of his day and to get on the phone with me and talk about his piece that's up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Kevin, what's that piece titled? Because I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, still actually working on a title, but I was thinking about something like Patriots to Dolphins, like defensive fits or defensive analogs, something like that. So look for it. Uh, Hopefully I'll have that up tomorrow morning. Yeah, so Monday morning we'll have that. I know most of you guys probably listen to the podcast on Monday morning, but we are going to release this show here on Sunday night. And first, before we dive into those those marriages or those comparisons of players from the Dolphins roster onto this new Patriot-like scheme. Let's go ahead and get back to a topic, Kev, that I feel like you and I discuss every time on this podcast and kind of debunk some of these misnomers about the Dolphins' defense. And frankly, it's perpetuated by some of the beat writers, some of the guys that are most closely connected to this football team. Tell us why the 3-4 front and the 4-3 front are going to be the two packages we probably run less than anything else in this defense. Yeah, so um, if you remember from my piece earlier this year, I think it was back in February when we first hired Brian Flores and it was official after the Super Bowl, I talked about how this defense is very multiple. And while it is basically deconstructed from three, four principles, the 2018 version of the Patriots were hardly ever 
in a 3-4 defense. Out of all the snaps they ran last year, they were in a 3-4, a grand total of 13 snaps. Uh, they were in a 4-3, a grand total of 97 snaps. And I think when you combine that, I think they were in a 5-2 front a couple of times. It ended up being like 12% of their total snaps were in a traditional base package defense with seven guys up front and four in the secondary. Um, it's going to be more multiple than anything. Uh, their primary formation last year was a 4-2-5 at just over 300 snaps. And a 3-3-5 was their second most used formation with 226 snaps. So expect to see a lot of those, you know, nickel looks and even a lot of the 3-3-5 stuff. They'll do it with a linebacker walked up on the line of scrimmage. So it basically looks like a 4-2-5 with a stand-up defensive end. Um, you'll see some of that in my article. There are two fronts, their nickel package, which is diamond, and their dime package, which is called ruby. Um, I've got some breakdowns on that as well as some player comparisons. But sort of the good rule of thumb I would tell Dolphins to look out for is, is the scheme's going to be multiple. They may not do everything that the Patriots did because Miami – doesn't have the same type of personnel at every position that the Patriots had last year. So there's going to be some things that we do differently. That's, you know, that's without question. And I think that's what Brian Flores meant the other day. I think he was asked at the first OTA media availability, like, you know, what part of the, you know, how much of the playbook would be from the Patriots. And he said, well, you know, it, it'll be the same, but different formatting. And I think that's what he's getting at there. And, you know, we've kind of – I know you've talked about this separately on some of the other episodes about uh, John and Jimmy talked about the Raekwon McMillan to Dante Hightower thing. Uh, I think they interviewed Eric Rowe last week after one of the OTAs, and he said, like, the scheme is the exact same scheme as I was in last year. Well, he was with the Patriots last year. So I think what we're going to see is a very multiple scheme that changes week to week that's focused on taking away – you know, the one or two players that are best used by the opponents we'll see. Um, and it'll be very multiple from that, you know. And just to kind of give one other example, like I remember watching uh, the Patriots versus the Packers for the original piece I did back in February. They were in a 4-2-5 pretty much that entire game. If you actually go back and watch them in the Super Bowl, they actually lined up with sort of a traditional 4-3 package to start the game, but actually kept like six guys on the line of scrimmage to basically get themselves one-on-one -on -one matchups with the Rams offensive linemen and tight ends. And that really kind of negated Todd Gurley in that run game. So that just kind of shows you the variability of the defense and, and what they'll do to take things away. So it is, it does base itself from three, four principles, but I, I would imagine we won't see a whole lot of it, maybe a little more than what the Patriots ran last year, just kind of, based on deficiencies, but I, I think the scheme is, is more multiple and, you know, we'll, we'll see that play out throughout the season. And we'll jump into some of these comparisons for Dolphins parts to fit into those pieces here in just a minute, but I think there's two takeaways from your segment there, Kev. And the first one is that this Dolphins defense in the past has been pretty antiquated because a lot of these, I don't know if you want to call them revolutionary formattings or schemes from the Patriots defense, they maybe were the first ones to start doing this, and the Packers defense has been really dime-heavy in the past as well, whether that was you know Patrick Graham being there or not. But 
The Dolphins never really did that from a dime defensive perspective, but the NFL as a whole has basically adopted that as the modern-day base defense, and the Dolphins were one of the few teams that regularly trotted out three linebackers onto the field or two linebackers with five defensive backs on third and 10-plus, whatever it might be. So I think we're in for a massive, massive shift in the way they set this defense up and the way they try to execute the scheme. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And then takeaway number two for me is that you mentioned this earlier. There's going to be a lot of guys that play on this defense, and it might not be a lot of guys that register 50% or 60% of the snaps. You're going to have a lot of guys that play less than half the snaps, but there will be 15, 16, 18, 20 guys that get significant reps on this defense. Would you agree with that, Kev? Yeah, exactly. I think there's going to be a lot of players in niche roles because we don't have you know, we don't have a Dante Hightower. We don't have a Kyle Van Noy or a Patrick Chung. We don't have that analog. So I think you have to make those guys up in the aggregate. And that is what we're going to talk about here on the next portion of the podcast, marrying up some of these defensive analog pieces to what the Patriot scheme was in the past and how to apply it to this Dolphins roster. We'll do that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And today's Locked On Dolphins podcast is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your French trip. Book your own Hotels.com trip and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. It's always an appropriate time for Pink Floyd anywhere on the podcast or otherwise. But I do think this song's a little bit appropriate, and the Dolphins could probably learn to walk before they can learn to fly. You like that segue there? When they install this new defensive scheme under Brian Flores and this brand new coaching staff, we're talking to Kevin Dern right here. You guys know him, longtime friend of the podcast, as well as writer for LockedOnDolphins.com. And we're talking about which of these pieces on this Dolphins defense can match the pieces the Patriots had under Bill Belichick, under Brian Flores and company, because this Patriots defense for a long time, Kev, pretty much regardless of the personnel, has been one of the better scoring defenses in the NFL, and that's what the Dolphins hope to bring to Miami and Brian Flores. And I kind of want to give you the floor here on the defensive line, Kev, and just tell us which of these pieces on this roster, Devon Godshaw, Christian Wilkins, Vincent Taylor, where do these guys match up in terms of what the Patriots defense was with that defensive line last year? Yeah, um, just kind of going through it, you know, starting on the inside, the Patriots really used four guys primarily. Malcolm Brown is kind of a one technique slash nose tackle. Uh, Lawrence Guy as a three technique. Um, Danny Shelton as a true nose. And uh, Adam Butler as sort of a pass rushing defensive tackle. I think the best comparison or best analog for Miami is probably going to end up being Devon Godshaw to Malcolm Brown, uh, just based on what he's done. People forget that Godshaw played a lot of one technique in college uh, his first two years at LSU before they switched to a three, four. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done some similar things here with the dolphins, you know, since he's been on the team. Um, I think Christian Wilkins and Vincent Taylor, they're not quite the same type of player that Lawrence guy is. I think Lawrence guy, his game is more power based and Taylor and Wilkins are more quick, you know, quickness and disruptive based. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Brian Flores kind of uses that. And they've really set themselves up with a kind of interesting competition at nose tackle. I think Danny Shelton played, I think it was somewhere right around 300 snaps or something like that last year. Miami doesn't really have a true nose, but you've got a bunch of guys on the roster 
Jameis Pittman, Joey Embu, uh, the Corey Thomas kid from Mississippi State, that all might have a shot, uh, Kendrick Norton as well, that all might have a shot to kind of play that role. And then I do wonder if they, if sort of that loser of Vincent Taylor, Christian Wilkins makes up some of their snaps being a pass rushing defensive tackle like Adam Butler, or even if they decide to keep five, maybe that keeps Akeem Spence on the roster, although he was cut by Matt Patricia in Detroit last year, or traded by Matt Patricia in Detroit last year to the Dolphins. Um, can I interject on this? Kevin? Can I interject oh, yeah. real yeah, quick and ahead. just I want to ask you a couple of questions here because you make a couple of good points. One with Akeem Spence, and you mentioned the kind of the quickness and one gapping skill set that he offers, which made total sense for Chris Kusarek when he was here. But you mentioned Matt Patricia ships him off. Is there because people have asked me on Twitter, is there some concern that Christian Wilkins is too much of a one gapper for this defense? Like, how would you respond to that that concern? No, I don't think so. Um, if you look at what the Patriots do, really the they're only asking one guy to really two-gap on every play. Um, really the only set where they've used multiple guys two-gapping is when they go to an even front. I've actually got a picture of it in the piece um, where they're basically playing twin two techniques and twin five techniques. It's sort of a run-heavy defensive package. Um, I believe they're using it against the Bills. Uh, they also used it against the Titans two years ago to try and slow down uh, Derrick Henry. And, and uh, I believe DeMarco Murray might have been on the team uh, during that game. Um, I wouldn't want Christian Wilkins to gapping a ton, um, at least until we see him actually do it on the field. But uh, really, I think the two gapping stuff is going to be done by Devon Godshaw and I guess whoever else they decide to play nose tackle, whoever that is, that, you know, once we get to the regular season. Yeah, man, that's good to hear because obviously you don't want to have a first-round draft pick get here and not really have a plan for him, but I wouldn't put that on the Dolphins coaching staff. I think they're much more, they're much smarter than that to do that, so that's good to hear. Let's go ahead and move to the outside here with defensive ends because defensive ends in this new scheme are much different than they were in the previous scheme. Am I right? Yeah, and I think the Patriots kind of show that based on how they value defensive ends. If you look at the guys they had last year, Trey Flowers, Dietrich Wise were both fourth-round picks. And they had Adrian Claiborne, who was a, a street-free agent. John Simon was a street-free agent. And then they had an undrafted free agent in Keontae Davis. So it's not like they're paying a, a top dollar for them or investing high picks. And I think Miami's kind of followed suit. You know, you have basically three guys who can play closed end, Jonathan Woodard, Tank Carradine, and I really like Jonathan Ledbetter out of Georgia. Um, those guys will probably be doing the bulk of the four I and five stuff. And then I think Charles Harris and Dwayne Hendricks, the undrafted free agent out of Pittsburgh, probably have a chance to do some more of the open side stuff. And I would almost kind of lump in Jerome Elliott, um, who they got from the AAF. Basically, it's just a pure pass rush specialist on that open side as well. Um, if you wanted an analog kind of taking on that John Simon role from the Patriots last year, but they're not counting on these guys getting double digit sacks. They're more edge setters, run stoppers and, and kind of being cogs in the machine on pass rush downs. And that's, that's why I think a lot of these folks look at the defensive end position and wonder like what the dolphins, what are they doing? Why aren't they going after these free agents out on the open market? They're focused on linebackers. And that's really where the crux of the defense comes from the secondary and from the linebackers having versatility. And that leads us into the linebackers, which frankly, Kevin, I think is my favorite position 
on this entire team, when you look at Raekwon McMillan, Jerome Baker, you know I'm a huge Andrew Van Ginkle fan. Tell us about the linebacker matchups here between the Dolphins defense and the new Patriots scheme coming in. Yeah, and, and jumping back to the defensive end thing really quick, it is a huge philosophical shift going from the wide nine to this defense. So I think a lot of fans may get hung up on that. As far as the linebackers go, we've kind of heard that Raekwon McMillan has been told to watch some Dante Hightower tape. But are you comfortable and with that? Is that I, is that something you, you think he can do? I think he can do parts of it. Um, I don't think you're ever going to see Raekwon get down in a three-point stance and be a defensive end or act as a 3-4, you know, edge-rushing linebacker, which is stuff that Hightower does. Mm-hmm. But when he's lined up, as the Patriots call it, their Mac backer, um, when he's lined up as the Mac backer between the between the, ta- between the, ta- between the tackle scrimmage and an A or B gap, that's all stuff we saw Raekwon do last year. And yeah. I guess we would consider that as rookie season. So, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I think you may see – Guys like Charles Harris, Van Ginkle, possibly Jerome Elliott take some of those edge snaps like outside the tackle box away from Raekwon in that role. Um, But, yeah, I I think Raekwon McMillan's going to thrive in this defense. Um, I think Kiko Alonso, I'll kind of jump to him real quick, as sort of the third linebacker, that Alandon Roberts-type role. Mm -hmm. I think that would suit him, and we talked about this. I remember you and I specifically talked about this last year on one of the podcasts that if you could limit his snaps and have him focus on just attacking forward and doing certain things, he'd be fine as a third linebacker, and I think that's kind of why he hasn't been lopped off the roster yet. Even all can see to that point. I'm sorry, go ahead. Even I'll concede to that point. You guys know you know my feelings on number 47, and I'll concede to that point. I would agree that's a good role for him. Yeah, if you can pare his snaps down and take like 60% off of his plate from what he had last year, I think he can be effective. Um, obviously, I think we would still replace him after the season, sure. but it's worth having him. He's a veteran presence. He, he knows at least – the football IQ stuff and, and getting guys lined up. And I think Raekwon and, and Baker both kind of leaned on him for that last year. And jumping into Jerome Baker, he's kind of the one whose fit kind of gives me the most pause. Um, I think he can do a lot of the role that they give to Kyle Van Noy, which is kind of their money linebacker position. I think he can do a lot of the stuff that Van Noy does when he's lined up off the ball whether that's being the middle guy in their diamond set or the middle guy in their ruby set, where I have some issue is where you line him up as a true sort of stand-up defensive end spot, which is what Kyle Van Noy did a ton of on third downs, is a six-foot-one, and I've heard he's rumored to be weighing around 236 now. Is Jerome Baker at that size really capable of pass rushing against offensive tackles you know is he really a pass rusher or is he more of a blitzer so I think with Baker that third down role might be something that falls to Van Ginkle or Elliott or you know another person like that maybe they get some more mileage out of a Dwayne Hendricks than we might expect so as good as Jerome Baker is we have kind of heard through the grapevine that he might be doing that Kyle Van Noy role it gives me some pause. Um, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Well, 
you definitely have to find a way to get him on the field because I think we all would agree that he's the second best linebacker on this roster, if not the best, depending how you view Raekwon McMillan. But of course, the fan base tends to have, have a different perspective of what this linebacker core is. And before we go to the break here, Kev, can you go ahead and jump into the cornerback position? You want to start there on the secondary or how do you want to do this? Yeah, corners. Um, I think the corners are, are pretty self-explanatory. Xavier Howard's going to be Stephon Gilmore. Whoever that other corner is, is basically going to be responsible for, you know, the number two receiver. I think Bobby McCain will get a lot of reps in the slot, although the Patriots kind of adjust their formation. Um, if they're facing 12 or 21 personnel, I would expect a third safety to come onto the field. If it's 11 personnel or even 10 personnel, I would expect Bobby McCain to play. So I think Bobby McCain will still have a, a big role. It may not just be as many snaps as he had last year. Um, in the secondary, I would I would have loved to have heard some news about Rashad Jones, but he skipped these OTAs. Um, you know, it is what it is at this point. I think he's probably best suited to play the Patrick Chung role if he's healthy. If he's not, then I wonder if you break that up between McDonald and Minka Fitzpatrick. I think Minka Fitzpatrick is a shoe-in. He, he and Godshaw were probably the two best locks. I think his role is that of Devin McCourty. Um, and then, at least for right now, I would probably say T.J. McDonald and Maurice Smith are probably battling for that Deron Harmon role. You know, they did have T.J. McDonald lose a bunch of weight. I don't know if you want to play him down in the in the box like Patrick Chung. I don't know if you want him playing as sort of a split safety deep. Um, that's a competition that we'll, we'll just have to see play out as the season progresses. And it makes sense that he's still on the roster when you mentioned the idea the Dolphins could bring the fifth defensive back onto the field via the safety. And that's another thing I think is going to give fans a bit of confusion because for as long as we've known this defense or this league and the way defenses work is that the fifth the nickelback, the fifth defensive back, is always a cornerback. But like you mentioned, different personnel groupings call for different looks and different skill sets. And McDonald and McCain are vastly, vastly different players. So it makes a lot of sense. Where I have some pause there, though, is that if we're going to do that type of defense, I'm looking at my depth chart right here and the safety group. Like after you mentioned Maurice Smith, who... You know, we might like him as a prospect or whatever it is, but he hasn't proven anything. And beyond that, it's like Walt Aikens. I mean, there's just, if one guy goes down and McDonald and, and Jones have injury histories, then it's it's all of a sudden very, very thin back there. And one more note, Kev, before we turn the page here, you mentioned the cornerback positions between Xavier Howard and Eric Rowe. I watched a lot of Eric Rowe's tape from last year, and I thought he was actually a pretty damn good player on tape. And one of the things I liked about him was they would use him in a multitude of, of roles, whether it was into the boundary of the formation, playing that press with no safety help, or playing off to the field side, coming down to the slot, covering a tight end, or covering even a slot receiver. So he's very, very well versed in terms of being able to play multiple different roles on the defense. And I think if they can get him healthy, he could be a big boon for them. What do you think about Eric Rowe? Yeah, I think health is the biggest issue um, with him. Um, he's obviously got experience in the defense. And one thing that I have kind of thought about is if they do end up finding another corner that can play opposite Xavier Howard, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of operating under the assumption that Cordray Tankersley is starting the season on PUP or something like that, given when his knee injury occurred. Um, but Eric Rowe did play some safety with the Eagles when they first drafted him. So maybe he has that potential chance. And then one thing that was 
brought up by our, our buddy Chris Kaufman was that the Patriots often traveled their corners with specific receivers mm-hmm. and not just to, not just Stephon Gilmore. They would match it up. You know, the number one guy would stay on this guy all game. The number two guy would be on this guy. The slot corner would be on a third guy, you know, and they did that quite a bit. Um, so that's another thing to look out for um, in, in these coverage schemes as well as a lot of the disguises. And I do kind of wonder if some of these undrafted guys or even some of the corners we have on the roster could potentially be position converts. Um, Tony Oden, our safeties coach, did that in Detroit a couple years ago when he was there with Charles Washington, who was a college corner. So um, that's something to look out for. I believe the Patriots did it last year with – he was out of Florida. Tease Tabor, I believe, yeah. was the kid they drafted. He got hurt pretty early on. Um, but that's something else to keep an eye on. And you guys can find the rest of this information up on Kevin Dern's piece on LockedOnDolphins.com. I don't think we have a title yet. Something about defensive analogs for sure. You guys will find yeah. that as well as the Josh Rosen charting project. We have tons of content for you. And we're going to come back on the other side of the episode here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and talk about some fashion. But first, before we do that, today's show is brought to you by Untuck It. Dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, your Air Monarchs, your barbecue grilled uh, spatulas, all that fun stuff, and so should their shirts, like tall, short, slim, relaxed. Ever wonder why your father's button-ups look so long and baggy and frumpy at the end of the day? It can be hard for guys to pull off a casual, untucked look that isn't sloppy, and that's where Untuck It comes in. Untuck It is the solution that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailor required. Go to untuckit.com, promo code locked on to get 20% off your order. You guys are tired of hearing me talk about the Josh Rosen project. It has been completed. Part two up on the website right now. In addition to part one, all 13 of his starts are listed up there. But I've also got 3,000 words coming your way on the Josh Rosen project. Part number three, a comprehensive scouting report. I have detailed examples of his strengths, his weaknesses, how the Dolphins can devise a plan to make him successful, what he has to do to prevent the Dolphins from drafting his replacement next year, as well as analytical data and advanced stats, video breakdowns, all 13 games charted. I promise you guys will not find better information on the Dolphins' newest quarterback than you'll find on LockedOnDolphins.com. But to close this episode out, we're going to talk about something that, well... Something this show is just not known for. By now, you guys know to expect a fire hose of information. Me talking way too fast about film study, analytics, basically what we just gave you in these last two segments. And since my adopted NBA team is about to get swept out of the Western Conference Finals, and since the Mariners are routinely getting beat by double digits these days, and Kevin, that's not a joke. It was 18-4 to last night. It was 10 nothing before the third inning was over. I really don't have anything on my sports docket, so we go back to Miami Dolphins uniform talk. So now, what you've all been waiting for, two grown men, two straight white males, males, are going to discuss fashion. Kevin, over the weekend, Tom Garfinkel, who you and I both just think the world of, team CEO Tom Garfinkel announced that the Dolphins will finally break out the throwback white jerseys that the Finns wore when they destroyed the Cowboys on Thanksgiving 2003. 
Kevin, true or true? These are the best uniforms the Dolphins offer. I will say true, and I'd like to think I helped play a part in this because I actually tweeted at Tom Garfinkel last year a picture of a white throwback Randy McMichael jersey Yes, and asked if these were in the in the cards for the future. And he tweeted me back the um, Jim Carrey gift from uh, Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. That's fantastic. Here they, here they are. Oh, here they cool. are. I tried to find the tweet the other day, and I couldn't do it, but I – I promise you it's out there. We need to get someone on that to look up that Kevin Dern tweet towards Tom Garfinkel. And he really does appear to be kind of amenable to new ideas or at least approachable to those new ideas. And one thing I want to ask you about here, Kev, because these jerseys are really, really pulling at a new philosophy I undertook a couple years ago. I bought a Jarvis Landry jersey and a Jay Ajayi jersey within like a 12-month span of one another. And they both were off the team within months of me making those purchases and it kind of helped usher in this new thought that I have about grown men wearing jerseys. What are your thoughts on grown men wearing jerseys of younger guys? Because frankly, I kind of want to go back and just wear like, I think like Cam Wake is the most recent guy that I would wear. And I go back to like Ricky Williams or like Zach Thomas, guys that we grew up watching. Where do you come in on that? Oh man. Well, I agree. Like with the whole jersey buying thing, I think the last three jerseys I bought were Pat Sertan, Jason Taylor, and Jake Long, and they all got cut or traded the next year after I bought the jersey. So I'm with you there. Um, I think there's a time and a place for it. You know, I would only wear a jersey to the actual game. Like, I wouldn't wear it to, like, a draft party or something like that. I'd rather wear, like, a a T-shirt or a polo or something like that. Um, And uh, I don't know. I would would probably – really the only player I want to buy is a Laramie Tunsil jersey to piss my wife off. So he's the guy I would go with. (laughs) Well, hey, that's what we're always here for. And I agree with you. I think wearing it to a game is totally fine. I'm with that. And I really shouldn't talk because I grew up, I have like 20 Dolphins jerseys in my closet. Maybe I'm just so jaded by the way those jerseys have treated me with their longevity. And one last note here, Kevin, I want to talk about, and it's the logo because I see you go on any Facebook comment, for instance, which is just the, the, (laughs) the absolute salt of the earth, the people on Facebook comments. But the thing you always see talked about is go back to the old logo, use the throwback uniforms. I even put it in an article the other day, trying to appeal to those masses. And I'll shamelessly admit that I did that with that sole intention in mind. But you look at this, the logos, and I just finished up a semester of a couple of classes where I had design classes and design with digital graphics and that type of thing. And one thing I learned was some principles of design. And you look at the Dolphins logo over the years, the old ones, like from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, those adhere to no design principles. So like just from a mechanic standpoint, they're flawed. The one from the 90s is better, but it looks to me like an awful cartoon. And really the one now is the one that checks off all the boxes for those principles of design. And I'm curious, which of the logos is your favorite and where do you come in on how bad the newest one is or how not bad it is, I guess? Oh, man. Um, You know what? I guess I'm a sucker for nostalgia. So I actually, I, I love the throwback uniforms. I'm okay with the logo. I know some people say it's not like, you know, it's not well-crafted and all that. I actually kind of like it because most people didn't realize that the M on the Dolphins helmet actually stood for Miami. I thought that was pretty simple to figure out, but a lot of people who aren't Dolphins fans always ask me that. I love that. I think those are the the two best jerseys. Um, 
I think really my least favorite logo is kind of the current one just because we haven't, there's been no success with it really, yeah. you know? Um, I get you. And my second, my second favorite logo, I guess uniform actually, was the all aqua that we wore, I think only ever in 2002 on Monday night against the Bears when Ricky ran wild. Yes. So I remember that. I think as far as like aesthetically pleasing, the current one is the best, but um, there's just not much there with it to like make me like when I see it, I'm like, oh, you know, it's the Dolphins. I know what to, to think about. It's my team, but we just haven't had that success with it yet. Hopefully it comes. Yeah, I get that. I, like, I know. As far as like, the helmet scheme, the current helmet is by far and away the best, I think. Yeah, getting so rid of those blue stripes. The logo is great. Getting rid of the blue stripes was a big upgrade for me, and especially with the, the drop shadow on the jerseys as well. I think that was a big step forward. I am like pretty much the only Dolphins fan that thinks the current logo and uniforms are just fine. I actually love them. So I understand that, and I I, I guess I'll back off kind of pushing that agenda because I am alone on I would, that. I would agree with that, especially since last year when they got rid of the blue, that, that yeah. subtle change. I think makes the current jerseys look great. I'm fine with them. I, I think they should just wear the throwbacks like, you know, two home games a year and stick with what they have. Yeah, and they kind of be cool with that. They kind of did it towards the end of the year last year where they started wearing throwing yeah. them out there more often. They painted the the uh, end zones orange for that Jacksonville game, which we won't go into that. But I think Kevin, we've ran out of time <laughs> here on this podcast. Before we sign off, I'm going to say goodbye to Kevin. You guys can find him on Twitter at KevinMD4 and check out his piece up on LockdownDolphins.com right now. I promise you'll learn a few things about football and about this team as you always do. But Kevin, you know the drill. There's only one thing left to do. Say goodnight, Kevin. There you go. He says goodnight, Kevin. There he goes. And again, we have gone way over time. I know I'll probably hear about this episode from the boss, but it is what it is. We gave you guys a bunch of information on today's show. And before we do get out of here, I want to tell you that today's show is also brought to you by Grip6 Belts. Their goal is to literally make the best belts that have ever been made. Grip6 is an easy, thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas, even moms and wives. You can see their women's collection Ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap, and it carries a low profile with the buckle laying flat against the waist, making the belt super comfortable. Grip 6 is the only belt with no holes, no flap, and no bulk. And Grip 6 has a special offer for you at grip6.com slash locked on. And you know, somebody asked me the other day, how can I support the podcast? If you guys check out these promo codes and use them to buy these products, that's really the best way you can do it. That's how we're judged here on the show. Downloads and listens are great, but the advertisers are the lifeblood. So if you guys want to support the podcast and you need a new belt or you need a nice new shirt, check out Grip6, check out Untuck It, or book your trip with Hotels.com. Just get to those sites and use the promo code Locked On. That's the very best way you can help the podcast. And if you guys have a smart speaker or Bluetooth capability in your vehicle or otherwise, you can pull up the podcast right away. Just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast for your daily dose. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. The point of no turning.